the mistletoe margarita, the Scrooge driver, the North Pole punch. The holidays call for cocktails, so get everything you'll need for them delivered with Drizzly, the go-to app for drink delivery. So what's it gonna be? Classics like Bullet Bourbon, Don Julio Reposado, or Kettle One, or maybe something new. Find it all on Drizzly where you can get beer, wine, and spirits delivered for any holiday festivity. Download the Drizzly app or go to drizzly.com. That's D-R-I-Z-L-Y.com today. Must be 21 plus, not available in all locations. Is your wallet lighter than usual after a fun-filled summer? A little cash can go a long way, which is why the Chime Checking Account has tons of benefits you'll love, like fee-free overdraft up to $200 for eligible members, no monthly fees, and thousands of ATMs. You can even get paid up to two days early with direct deposit. Sign up for Chime today. Get started at chime.com slash fee-free. Chime is a financial technology company, not a bank. Banking services and debit card provided by the Bancorp Bank N.A. or Stride Bank N.A. members FDIC. Spot me eligibility requirements and overdraft limits apply. Access to direct deposits up to two days early depends on the timing of the submission of the payment file from the payer. Welcome to On The Verge. This is Zach Spedden, joined as always by Bob Phelan and Nick Stevens. We have a lot to get into tonight as Vivek Sukla joins us to preview next week's Rule 5 draft. In addition, the Orioles have reportedly found their next major league pitching coach, hiring Drew French away from the Atlanta Braves. And we're going to wrap this show up with a quick preview of next week's winter meetings and talk about what moves the Orioles might or not, might not make, as well as some moves you could see around the major leagues. But first... As we like to start off a lot of our episodes, we have a new member of our Patreon community we're going to shout out. And with that, I'm going to turn it over to Bob. Yeah, we got one here in the off season. You love to see it. Uh, Brian Keston, welcome aboard. Single A level, paid for a year up front. You know, we love that. Lock you in. We're not going anywhere. So appreciate it. And uh, yeah, be like Brian and join our Patreon. And as a reminder, you can join our Patreon community for as little as $3 a month and have access to our exclusive channels on Discord and WhatsApp. And then at the higher levels, you will have access to bonus daily coverage, which we will soon be resuming later this offseason with our Top 50 Prospects countdown. You're not going to want to miss that. But in the meantime, we do have a lot of baseball to cover, and that includes next week's Major League Rule 5 draft. And to preview this, we're going to go return to a regular guest. He's a longtime member of our Patreon community, and he's joined us for the last several years as our de facto Rule 5 draft specialist to preview the Rule 5 draft. He is Vivek Sukla. Vivek, great to have you back on. Hey, thank you so much, Zach. Thank you, Nick. Thank you, Bob. It's, uh, as I always like to say, it's the most wonderful time of the year. <laughs> but um, it, And it's, he's um, not talking about Christmas. And I'm not talking about <laughs> Christmas. <laughs> Christmas is coming a little bit earlier this year, but... Mm-hmm. um. No, thank you for the opportunity. It's um, it's definitely something on the resume builder on LinkedIn uh, at some point, <laughs> but um, you know, I, I really appreciate the opportunity. I think all of us do get a kick out of it. You know, we we understand the Orioles themselves are competitive now and may or may not even be making a Rule Five pick, which I understand is all in the realm of possibilities. But I do like the exercise that we play in finding different players, highlighting certain profiles, and always finding that diamond in the rough. If there is a team that has utilized the Rule 5 and optimized it to the best of its extent, Anthony Santander, Tyler Wells right now, both combined contributing 4-5 to five war a season for us. So you gotta... I, I think it's, it's, it's a fun journey to find a diamond in the rough and then I think over the years when you make your spreadsheet, you kind of hone in on certain qualities that might stick out. So thank you for the opportunity. 
We appreciate having you on. And it does feel a little bit different this year with the Rule 5 draft. The Orioles coming off that 101-win season are going to be picking further down than they have in the last several years. But one of the big stories going into the Rule 5 draft and where we're going to start off tonight is the fact the Orioles did not protect anyone this offseason, which seemed like a not terribly surprising but still interesting move that they made. And Vivek, I want to start with a guy that's getting a lot of coverage nationally, and that's Hudson Haskin. Haskin was left off the Orioles' 40-man roster. He is Rule 5 eligible. Undeniable talent, but questions about the injury history, in particular coming off of hip surgery. Do you think that there is a team out there that would take a flyer on Hudson Haskin in the Rule 5 draft this year? Yeah, I think there's a, there's certainly a possibility. Um, and I think a higher chance than, than uh, in previous years when we've gone into the Rule 5 draft, we generally had an idea as the main prospects to to protect at those times. I think this year we're going into a period where some players were coming off of injuries, some players were going into injuries, and unfortunate for Hudson Haskin because we're talking about the 2020 draft. You've just drafted Heston Kerstad. You then did Jordan Westbrook, and then on day two you started it off with Hudson Haskin. And I think many people had looked at Hudson Haskin because he was a sophomore talent. I think the Orioles wanted to jump on that. I think we went over slot to sign him as a sophomore. So it wasn't an easy sign at that time, but you got the Hunter Pence funky swing comparisons. You saw in double A a power uptick. And I think a lot of us saw that first few weeks when he was at triple A at Norfolk, he was hitting the ball off the cover. So you have this inclination, at least I do, that he was going to be protected, if not part of a trade. And so it's interesting because in a comparison, Drew Rom, the year that he did get protected from the Rule 5, was, was obviously protected, stayed on the roster for one year, and then added to the Jack Flaherty trade. So at least in my mind, I thought that Hudson Haskin has performed at H3 level, and maybe there isn't a starter upside or a second or third division regular starter, if not fourth outfielder upside, which is still valuable. Maybe the rise of Kowser, maybe the rise of Heston Kerstad. You have Dylan Beavers. Got to a point where the Orioles have to be very careful of every roster spot. And then it, I guess at that point, even with four openings, they maybe didn't want to fill it up at this time with Haskin. So I think there's a good chance if people believe in the 39th overall pick in the 2020 draft. And while he's had two season-ending surgeries, both in 2021 and 2023, I would still take about a 50-55% chance that he does get picked. I've seen a, so. <laughs> oh man, Haskin. Um, the injury thing does still scare me. But when I was putting together my spreadsheet, there, um, fellow sicko, uh, putting together, it's not as aesthetically pleasing as Vivix that he shared with us. Uh, I have no colors online. Um, it's just a boring white spreadsheet. But in doing that and researching all these guys, granted, I didn't look at a single hitter. And jumping ahead here a little bit, but I didn't look at a single hitter because I'm assuming the Orioles aren't going to take a hitter. If you are going to make a selection in this draft, I don't see why you you probably would, to be honest. 
But in doing a lot of research, there was some Hudson, a lot of Hudson Haskin conversations, right? And even one that sparked up, sparked up uh, a thought in my mind. It was a Nationals account. And uh, we don't need to get into my thoughts, you know, about the Nationals. The regular listeners of the show are well aware. But um, I just pulled up their roster, and I don't know half of these outfielders. I don't know who Alex Call is or Stone Garrett um, or Jacob Young. I have no idea who they are. I know Victor Robles, and and that's it. Uh, and I saw one Nationals account uh, pretty heavy on Hudson Haskin, and I was like, you know who the Nationals just grabbed from the Orioles? Brad Selick, the man who drafted <laughs> Hudson Haskin. So uh, maybe that's where he goes. But, yeah, it's we've talked about it for you know, a couple weeks ago, and I don't think my thoughts have changed too much about Haskin. This outfield is so deep, and if the Orioles are going to take the risk, I'm fine with them taking the risk. To be completely honest, if he gets selected, good for him, and I hope it you know frees up some some playing time for him, and he's able to get that in his next organization. And if not, I'm also super stoked to keep him in this organization. Like Vivek said, the Orioles did invest a lot into him, and when he has been healthy, he has exceeded my expectations offensively. Um, you know, nothing drastic, but I'm always expecting him to you know not hit as well as he has. You know, Triple A, I wasn't expecting the power and limited playing time he was showing off the power there with norfolk so you know, hopefully a full season or two in a row and he can show us what he's truly made of but you know, i guess time time will tell in a week or so yeah at this point i'm gonna go into the rule five expecting him to be drafted by a team i don't know if he'll stick all year but and yeah, like Nick said, I think he nailed it there. Like if he doesn't get picked, that's awesome because he's shown flashes of really good potential. And I feel like because of the injuries, there's still plenty of development there that can be made. And I think he has a little more upside than a, a Ryan McKenna with options as I have characterized him in the past. Uh, it's a little overblown that, but, uh, but if he does get picked, yeah, that's awesome for him. And I could see the nationals being a fit there actually, but you know, hopefully he gets some experience and he comes back to us somewhere in the mid mid season and becomes great depth and he'll get added before the 2025 season or, or something like that. But yeah, at this point, you know, they've made their decision and it's time to roll the dice. You know, they, they messed up with Zach pop potentially. I mean, who knows? <laughs> it's not like Zach pop has lit the world on fire, but he's, he's been a decent player. Um, We'll see what happens. I'm I'm excited to to just see how this all plays out. Even though the Orioles might not select anybody, you know, uh, it's still fun to watch, and you get to learn about some some players like relief pitchers who otherwise you you might not have heard of. In our lead up to or in our recent Wolf Five preview, we focused more narrowly on the players we thought the Orioles might protect. We had a lot of pitchers in that mix, uh, Bob, Nick, and myself, and. We weren't really confident that any of them were 100% sure of getting protected, but there were still some interesting arms in there, whether it's someone like Trey Magoo, Dean Pinto, or guys coming back from injury like Magoo, Kyle Bronovitz, Zach Peake, um, not to mention Ryan Watson in there, who just a year ago was the Orioles minor league pitcher of the year. Vivek, I'll start with you on this one. When you look at the crop of pitchers that the Orioles did not protect, do you think any of them have traits that are going to appeal to other teams? Yeah, no, great question. I think as of right now, in terms of like the numbers that I'm looking at, I do understand their decisions in terms of not protecting these players, but it kind of goes back to maybe 
like what philosophy I'm using when I'm finding these players to potentially look as rule five candidates. So a great example that was brought up on the few podcasts uh, before this was Kyle Brunovich, right? If you can harness the double knuckle curveball in one way and use him up as a multi-inning reliever, one characteristic that the Orioles do love is strike throwers and Kyle Brunovich is a strike thrower. So I can see why him and the high vertical arm slot and the way the curveball plays off of that, the fastball can play. I can see why Kyle Brunovich was included in that trade, and then there's still certain hope. But I think the fact that he also got injured, sometimes I think some teams can look at injuries as like a as, as a bonus, for example. Even a couple players on my list are players that did end the season on an injury. But I always think of the Anthony Santander example. You literally got to split his time in 2017 and 2018. And then you got to use his options, which was so beneficial, right? Now you get three years of options. You can put him in the minor leagues and see if you can uh, harness the best out of them. And, you know, it worked out for Santander. Um, but I think Kyle Brunovich, if people are into his his knuckle curveball, that's one trait. I think we saw Jeff Pontus last year write about Gene Pinto, how his slider is over 3,000 RPM. That's another thing that someone could actually harness. Brandon Young, at times, I think one of you guys mentioned his velo was, I don't know what injury he had, but he was up during double A. Like these are all different traits that I feel like if a team really did believe in their arsenal, then they might want to optimize. So even though these players were not protected, they still do have value and they could rise into be either being traded one day or they themselves could help the org. Garrett Stallings is a phenomenal innings eater. And I think some of us saw some really phenomenal starts when he was on his game. He had one of the highest increases in velocity. So if someone is looking for a fifth starter innings eater and they do, and they saw one of those starts from him, then absolutely. I could see that this current Orioles roster construction. And I think you guys have heard me say before the 2021 batch for roster protection is a huge, huge batch. Armbruster, Povich, McDermott, Rhodes. Like we, we could go on. It's uh, Connor Norby, Alex Pham. There's a lot of players that are going to either be traded or need to be protected. So maybe we've played a calculated guess that this year, if no one really stuck out, we'll keep this roster spot open. For when that decision comes for the next crop of rule five. I just think in looking at a lot of these other guys and having a few more weeks to kind of marinate on this, but in, in researching other teams and putting you know my list together, it's, it, I kind of feel like I'm able to take a step back a little bit almost and look at our own guys again. And it's like, I'm going to start doing this earlier next year, maybe um, just because I feel like, you know, I look at a guy like Trey McGowan, I'm like, the Orioles should have protected him. I'm looking at a guy like Kyle Bronovich, I'm thinking, yeah, he's probably going to be selected. And then you look at the crop that's out there, though, and I try to compare these guys. Like, Bronovich has a really good knuckle curve, but, like, there are a lot of guys coming off injury who have, like, pumping 99, 98 miles per hour. And it's just kind of like it's hard to decipher which teams are going to value which traits in these different pitchers and see it's a calculated risk, but I will say there are a lot of options out there. A lot of guys coming back from injury guys with loud tools. 
as well. So I honestly, I feel a little bit more confident that these guys are going to stick. And it's not to say anything negative about these guys. Yeah, there's still development to go with all these players because they're still minor leaguers. Uh, they're coming off injuries. Uh, they still got a they're young Gene Pintos. He was you know, two years younger than the competition at double A. These are a lot of still younger guys that still have development to go. But I do feel still continue to feel confident that at least in the major league phase of this draft, I think these guys probably stick around in Baltimore. Hopefully I'm not being too optimistic though. Uh, I hope so. Especially Gene Pinto. If he gets picked, I'm going to be a sad boy, but um, yeah, I think, you know, they're the, like Nick said, these are <clears throat> the Orioles got like five or six pitchers that are worthy of being taken. And that means probably most teams have multiple guys. <clears throat> dying uh most teams have multiple guys that are worthy of being taken i'm sure with one standout pitch whether it's a slider or a high 90s fastball like nick said so yeah i think it, it's just a matter of what teams scouted which players and and who they like but i think the orioles have some players that are candidates to get picked but i still think haskin is the most likely overall well, and I think that's a good segue to the next thing we want to talk about, which is who the Orioles might take in the Wolf 5 draft. Uh, they're obviously picking lower this year than they have in a long time coming off that 101-win season. And chances are, if you're looking at, you know, here's a top 10 prospect list of players available in the Wolf 5 draft, most, if not all, of those guys are going to be on the board um, when the time – most of those guys are not going to be on the board, I should say when the Orioles pick comes up, but there's still a chance to get some talent uh, later in the rule five draft. The Orioles have shown in the past, they can do it with two guys that Vivek mentioned at the top, Anthony Santander and Tyler Wells. Neither one of them were picked early in the major league phase of the rule five draft. So that's some history to consider, but Nick, I'll start with you here. Um, Cause I know you've been taking a deep dive into it as has Vivek who we'll go to in a moment. What stands out to you about this year's Rule 5 class just across the board around the Major League? Uh, again, I only looked at the pitching. If Vivek wants to talk about some of the hitters or what stands out there, I, I just I don't see the Orioles going the hitter route with the way this roster is constructed and looking at who's sitting there in AAA. So I, I didn't really go there. But just generally speaking, there are – I think this is a pretty – honestly, a pretty deep class of guys that I'm finding, like – like I said, I didn't do a super deep dive here, but I still came up with 40 names on my list um, that I'm like, and honestly, I'd say probably 30 of them, I think are legitimately, I'm taking a look at, like I want to look more into um, that I think they can be serviceable out of a major league bullpen right now. They've got more than one trait. It's not just the Kyle Branovich, you know, double knuckle curve. Like they've got high velo. They've got high ground ball rates. They've got uh, multiple innings. Some of these guys have 100, 200 innings at the double the A, triple A level. Um, I, I think it is, if you're looking for pitching, and I think this is the Orioles have what, four open spots with the 40 man roster. I do think that. If you're going to take a flyer, it's a chance to get a free player here, essentially. You're paying, what, $100,000 so in then league minimum if they stick on your roster. So it's essentially a free player. There are some, I think, some possible hidden gems uh, among this pitching group here that could be serviceable out of a bullpen. And even some of these guys that are coming off injuries, there's a couple names in particular I wouldn't mind looking at a little bit more. They're coming off injury, and maybe they're not going to be um, – 
guys who are going to be able to go out there every two, three days for you and be reliable, like high leverage arms, but you can use them in like low leverage situations. I think for a couple of months, maybe you, you have some IL stents a la you know, the Santander conversation there, you have some IL stents, phantom IL stents or whatever there to kind of prolong this, but there's more upside there with some of these guys. I think that you keep working with them. There are some future potential starters among this group as well. So if you're looking for pitching, I think this is a good year to try to grab at least one and see what happens. Yeah, it's interesting looking at the list. Like, do they, the Orioles do a Tyler Wells thing where they get a guy who they they like as a starting pitching project after the year he's taken, or do they lean more a one inning guy who maybe can just be good right out of the gate and and just stick around for quite a while? Um, you know, I've heard of some of these guys on on Vivek's list, like. Cole Wilcox, big name out of the draft a few years ago. Tobias Myers, a former Orioles draft hand, if I'm not mistaken. Um, some other guys that are, are very interesting with the numbers. So I'm just I'm just ready to to listen now and hear what you guys have to say about these guys. Yeah, especially I guess jumping into it, it's um, it, it's interesting, right? I, I think like there's a lot of a lot of looking at the MLB pipeline rankings and naturally thinking that these are the top most people on there. And I think probably what both Nick and I felt is, and again, a shout out to Fangraphs uh, as well. It's a very great resource to be able to filter ground ball rates, uh, walks to strikeouts, uh, anything really that you you want. So um, at least when we're doing some of these searches, we're looking at you know swinging strike rate and whatnot. It's uh, I'll, I'll start off with this one, as I know the list can be extensive. Um, but a guy that kind of came to my mind um, was uh, Eric Orzi. And Eric Orzi is in the New York Mets organization. And I know at first it may look like that, all right, it's the New York Mets at the moment. They're half rebuilding, half going for it. So what does this really mean? And so, and I'll, I'll kind of categorize this right now with Eric Orzi, Ian Seymour, and I'll even throw in RJ Dabovich, for example. Now, Ian Seymour was working out as a starter, but I'll start off with Eric Orzi, where one thing you'll love about this is this man has a very filthy 60-65 grade splitter. It is phenomenal. He's a two-time cancer survivor, and he was at the University of New Orleans. In the 2020 draft, he does get picked and gets an opportunity with the Mets. And he is someone in his first year in 2021 post-COVID made it all the way through into the minor leagues and got to AAA. He's actually been at AAA, unfortunately, for the last two years. And he hasn't been called up yet. And you're probably wondering why. So his ERA has hovered around 4.5. This year it was 5. It was 81 strikeouts and 61 innings. So you're looking at a lot of a lot of strikeouts uh, per innings, at least at least over nine. Um, and the one thing about him is not just the fastball, because the fastball itself has some really good characteristics. I saw an article, again, 18 to 19 inches of induced vertical break, a really nice splitter. And I know this organization loves that from Felix Bautista, who we won't have for 2024. But I wanted to bring up again... Uh, He's been there for two years. The Orioles have been looking at him in the in the International League. So they've played each other many different times. 
He's someone who's first year rule five eligible, and he has a tendency to pitch one to two innings. And while he had some good months and bad months, I wanted to leave with Eric Orzi that his final 11 innings, he only allowed four hits and had 22 strikeouts. So 22 strikeouts and 11 innings. Google this guy. Look on Twitter. Find that beautiful splitter that comes out of his hand. I think this would be a fun characteristic to work with. Both fastball sitting 93 to 96 at times with a beautiful splitter. So uh, this guy I know is not on many people's boards. But I was getting excited watching some of the video. And I think... He definitely, for at least being two years there at AAA, deserves a shot. Yeah, I have him here because uh, Eric Loggenhagen's write-up about him. He oh, was up one. to the, the number seventh-ranked prospect in the Mets system at one point. I think that was as recently as this year, uh, or maybe it was last year. I can't remember which one. I think it was this year. But seventh-ranked prospect in the Mets system, and th- this is quoting from Loggenhagen's article. Orzi's beautiful spiral staircase arm action is short and repeatable, and he has especially good command of his breaking ball. His best pitch, though, is the splitter, which descends as if it's on an invisible playground slide on its way to the plate. He could stand to refine the fastball location, live closer to the top of the zone than in the meat of it, but otherwise he has all the ingredients to miss bats uh, with all three pitches. Uh just beautiful writing, uh, to be honest, there from Loggenhagen. Very descriptive. Uh, so, yeah, and if you're looking at, all right, staying out of the heart of the plate, I mean, the Orioles love high, you got the hoppy fastball that flourishes at the top of the zone, right? That's one of their bread and butters. So if Orzi, if that's considered a weakness of his, you bring him in, you you fix that up a little bit, what kind of guy do you have? So. I want him for more pros like that to be written uh, about <laughs> Orioles – players seriously his his walk numbers at syracuse were not good if you look at those numbers from a year ago but we've talked repeatedly um going back to the spring and the summer how challenging the triple a level was for pitchers this year so a spike in the walk rate does not concern me as much as it would in years past and with that splitter you've got an attribute that we know the orioles like to work with yeah, I, I like Orzi a lot. And Vivek mentioned Ian Seymour there from Tampa Bay. Tampa Bay's got a couple of, of interesting arms. Cole Wilcox, uh, I think Bob threw out that name there. Yeah, We, we could talk about him if you want to, because I think that's a super intriguing option. But Seymour, I'm going to give him his flowers, even though he's a Virginia Tech grad. I won't hold yeah. that against him. But <laughs> he was like a second-round draft pick by the Rays. And it seems like the stuff is all there, the command's there. It's a violent delivery that I absolutely love. And he had an interview with David Loria or Lorela over at Fangraphs. Getting tongue tied there. Uh, sorry, David. Uh, over at Fangraphs, I think last year. And it was a really great interview there. And David said he pitches ugly and looks good doing it. You know, five pitch mix. He doesn't care to dot the corners with. He dares hitters to hit his stuff and he wins most of the time. Talk about induced vertical break 20 to 21 inches of induced vertical break on the fastball. 40 inches of separation between his changeup and a slider. And he throws exactly how what we heard a lot this year, what the Orioles were doing with their pitchers. Set up that catcher's mitt right in the middle of the strike zone and throw it there and let your movement do the work. That's exactly what um, Seymour mentioned in this article. That's what he does. He lets the movement, insane movement on his pitches, 
take care of the work. Just throw it right down the middle. He says he tries to throw it right through the catcher. Um, so injury risk there, but a f- Tampa Bay with him and Cole Wilcox, I just feel like Tampa Bay's in a situation that they're usually in. There's too much talent. There's not enough space. And these guys were ideally, they probably love to keep both Seymour and Wilcox, but there's just no room. And they probably don't think they'll be able to use them in the major leagues right now. But if you're another team, like I see a role for these guys right now in the major leagues. No, absolutely. I, to be honest with you, I didn't understand why he wasn't protected because he got through the Tommy John. This is a guy who was fast tracked to AAA in 2021 and then had the injury and had to get the Tommy John surgery. But he returned this year. He made 13 starts. He had a 1.5 ERA, 46 innings, 46 Ks. And his fastball velocity may not be up, but I remember in 2021 watching Ian Seymour videos of his fastball running up from the left side up to 97. Give it a give it a year, see if he's back. If you know he's just coming back from Tommy John surgery. I I, I do absolutely see Ian Seymour being picked. I would be surprised if he wasn't, because I mean Cole Wilcox, I could certainly understand with respect to the control. It's also a very live arm. I mean, if we saw him also at Georgia in the same rotation with Emerson Hancock, it was fun. But Ian Seymour, definitely for me, I I have a bit higher because um, it's definitely a profile that whether it it becomes a future starter or if he's a multi-inning reliever for us right now, I mean, it's like your three-headed monster of D.L. Hall, C.N.L. Perez, and Ian Seymour. And I I think there's a lot of fun there with with, with Seymour. And um, another quick shout-out, I guess, for Tampa Bay. I mean... There was a lot of guys on the Tampa Bay system. I'm always amazed by how they can churn out the best in some others. Anthony Molina is another guy who's a legit prospect. He's 21 years old. He made 13 starts as a 21-year-old at AAA, but he's left unprotected. His ERA was around 4.5. But again, um, I, I think he's more of a contact pitcher at the moment. He's not missing as many bats. But again, a team like Oakland, Kansas City, if they want to start off and give a young guy a chance to one day be in their rotation, that's another candidate there. So, yeah, I could probably go on, but I'll, I'll take a big <laughs> a bit of a break there. <laughs> well, whether we take them or not, I'd love to see Tampa lose some of this talent <laughs> that they have just sitting there unprotected. And I think if we take Ian Seymour, we could get a lot of Feed me Seymour jokes from the uh, the musical about the Venus flytrap. Body shop of horrors, or yes, or, little yes. shop of horrors, little yes. shop of horrors. Yeah, all right. I don't know yeah. where my head was there, but um, <laughs> <laughs> looking at uh, the the two raised prospects here and Seymour and Wilcox, the one thing that jumps out at me about both of them is that they have starter traits, but would profile nicely in a big league bullpen um, next year. Here's what I'll throw out though. Wilcox is listed at 6'5", 230, right-hander, has some velocity. That's a type that we know Michael Elias likes. Would that be a factor, you think, in the Orioles taking Wilcox if he's on the board, despite some of the struggles that you just mentioned, Vivek, in particular with the control? 
Yeah, I think it could definitely be a, a bit of a factor there. I mean, I think of we've seen the trend of six foot six Brian Baker, six foot eight Felix Bautista, six foot eight Tyler Wells. Um, I, I know the list list goes on. I think the height would definitely be a factor. Um, just to even name someone else, um, uh, Carson Ragsdale, for example. Watch this guy pitch. He was second in strikeouts in 2021. Um, now, granted, he was pitching in A ball, um, but he was a college draft pick. Really nice extension, 93 to 96 fastball, and then a beautiful curveball. And because he's six foot eight, it's a really nice extension and close to the plate. So it plays up more. And uh, even though he'll likely not get picked because he hasn't pitched in double A or in triple A yet. Um, I, I do see the Orioles sometimes do have a tendencies to find those unique properties, whether they be deception, extra extension, or a notable pitch. Um, I, I think definitely it's something that could give Wilcox the upper hand. I think just the name itself of Cole Wilcox, you think about how, um, I think Nick, it was that article you had shared where, you had two organizations, the Padres, you know, draft him and pay over slot because he could have gone back to college. And then you had the Tampa Bay Rays who clearly believed in them. Um, and now you're kind of sitting at a point if if, if people have seen Cole Will- Wilcox and the potential um, of what he can be, it's a fun live arm that you can maybe work with. Um, I do believe there was maybe some injury history as well that might steer some teams away, certainly. Um, but because I've also seen Seymour come back from the Tommy John surgery. And again, if you look at his numbers, I'm, I'm still at awe as to why he wasn't protected, especially given how many of the raised starters got hurt. So, um, I probably lean Seymour, but Cole Wilcox is also a phenomenal talent. I've got to look at another organization real quick with the Dodgers. I don't know if uh, you had any Dodgers guys you were high on, but uh, it seems like they always leave guys unprotected and there's guys always get selected. And uh, they had two names that I got here, John Rooney and Alec Gamboa. Both are lefties. uh, So that's a plus. And I think both are kind of interesting. Gamboa's got kind of this lean back over the top delivery, a lot of ground balls. Rooney was a former third round pick, both being lefties with triple A experience. And then Gamboa gained more than three miles per hour on his fastball this year. He's almost up to 95. Rooney had the highest two seamer velo gain in the minors going from 88 to like almost 93. There's a lot of praise out there for his development this season. Yeah. seems like the Dodgers always leave quality relievers out there to the roof. five draft that gets selected every year. I, I like both of these guys as well. I tend to look a lot at the lefties the lefties with interesting traits because we talked about that thing on a recent episode about you know the lefty options maybe being kind of thin especially if you know deal halls in the rotation for example two options there and from another good organization that we know brings in good talent and is pretty darn good at developing their own talent oh hundred uh, percent i mean um do you guys remember that pick from the pirates last year uh, uh jose Hernandez or I should know this off the top of my head, but he was their reliever for about 50 innings this year and uh, was a great role five selection. But again, 
another lefty with uh, upper 90s velo. I can't believe, but I can also believe they left two lefties here with upper mid to upper 90s velo. I have a preference. Well, it depends on which one. Um, fun fact for everyone watching. If you watch the Norfolk Tides play against the Dodgers affiliate, John Rooney and Alec Gamboa both pitched in the game. John Rooney is more of a ground ball pitcher. He really harnesses that sinker to generate 50 plus percent ground ball rates. Alec Gamboa does have a bit of the fly ball tendencies at times. And I hate to bring this up, but Colton Kowser hit the home run off Alec Gamboa, which was the grand slam. So I don't think that should deter him from any eligibility. I think they're both great, great prospects. And I, who knows if he was brought into the system, that would be quite something. Um, but these are two lefties with a lot of gas. I'll, I'll bring in one more option. Um, the Cincinnati Reds have a guy named uh, Jacob Heatherly. I hope I'm saying that correctly. That's who I was going to point out. I'm loving oh, this guy. Bob, <laughs> feel free to start off. Yeah, yeah, please. Oh, no. Yeah, just based off of your – I'm just looking over your spreadsheet here, and I, he stands out to me, another – a left-handed pitcher with just ridiculous ground ball rates from three levels this year, yeah. 61 all the way up to 72% ground ball rates, almost double the amount of strikeouts as innings, a nice low ERA, only gave up one home run all year. He's got that mid to high 90s fastball. So, yeah, I mean, I love the sound of that. The most dangerous thing, unfortunately, is he does have an injury background, which is why he didn't pitch much. He threw 53 innings. He walked 53 times, <laughs> so it's a lot. But again, it's a fastball, 95 to 98, 91 strikeouts in 53 innings. Um, again, a lot of really, really fun arms. Um, and I'm, I'm really impressed by, if I had a, a characteristic for this Rule 5 draft, I'd say it's players that were amazing in 2021, had great 2022s, and dropped off the table for some odd reason in 2023. I think that's something we could probably, unfortunately, say that happened with Ryan Watson's profile, where they were the minor league pitcher of the year and and a few of them. But a lot of these people that came up on lists had strong upbringings up until the 2023 year. And I think it's organizations understanding what is real and then what is also something that's an ab what's real and what's an abnormality, right? Can you, can you just graze it off in the person and the player is still has that profile? Yeah. I was going to say, I, I noticed that too. And it's like a lot of the times when I'm looking at these guys and it just, I mean, the first thing I do is obviously just scout the stat line there. And if their numbers are looking good as they've come up through an organization and then in triple A, you're like, what the heck happened? There are a couple of guys I can't, search through my list right here. I know I got a couple guys on my list here. It's like they were walking like two to three guys per nine innings. And then they got the triple A this year and they were walking like five to six guys per nine innings. I just, when I saw that with guys, I would just ignore it. And I'd say, forget about that right now. And then I'd go and look up reports, look up any video I could find and be like, if the stuff is still nasty and guys are still talking highly about them and their stuff, I don't care really what the AAA numbers were, unless it's like something drastic, like you're starting to give up like three home runs per nine innings. But other than that, I just think it's it's super hard to evaluate these guys, at least just the numbers with AAA this year with that automatic 
ball strike system. I think it, I think it wrecked some guys to be completely honest. And, you know, they may not even have to deal with it to be honest in the major leagues. We'll see, but I don't know. It's that's definitely kind of a frustrating part in all of this, especially when we don't have access to a lot of that you know, deeper data on a lot of these guys. And some guys had to use a tacky ball or, or something for mm-hmm. half a season in AAA as well. So yeah, a lot of different reasons why the AAA numbers just, just seem out of whack, out of step with their career to that date. And yeah, maybe that's something can jump on. And we're talking about left-handed pitchers with good ground ball rates and good numbers. How about Tyler McKay with the Phillies? I like like his profile as well. Just I think that's where we're headed here. A left-handed yeah. pitcher <laughs> might get taken, but if, but if they do anything, it might be a left-handed pitcher. Yeah, I will say I I may have made a mistake on that spreadsheet. I think it, I think I saw some video of him being right-handed, so I, I will double check. But the ground ball rates are true. All that's, right, well that's what counts. That is that's a sixty-plus percent ground ball rate, and actually, the profile that was the most similar to Andrew Politi, who we picked last year in terms of Double mm-hmm. A AA and Triple A performance, was Tyler McKay. So who knows? Maybe this is someone that they look at. I, I still, you know, I, I tried to study some of the previous picks, right? I know, uh, what was it? I think Mike Snyder had mentioned how, uh, what was the word he used? Like, it's a fastball with a little bit of hair on it. So I guess that means that's another <laughs> way of saying hoppy fastball. Um, and and Politi did have a great year, you know? Um, but I think definitely it's, it's sometimes um, a, a crapshoot to say, Let's bring someone in and what can you clean up in spring? And I think there's also an excitement to that too, where um, if you take someone in and let's just see how they do in spring training. If I'm looking at this 36 man roster right now, you have room to take a pick and a hundred thousand dollars just to bring in another player. Like there's a, there's a few players, for example, like Bryce Bonin, for example, uh, another one that, Yes, extensive injury history, but when he's pitched, it's a fastball that's 97, 98. Kyle Bodie on like Twitter loves like Bryce Bonin. And like, even though there's an injury history there, stuff plus ridiculous monster. And uh, I think if there, if there was someone I'd like to take a risk on, like if it's like the final pick, if the Orioles want to take a second pick, if We've taken a first pick. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't. The the injury profiles don't scare me as much because of what happened with the Santander and like case where, okay, fine, you you keep them then on the sixty and perhaps it's a restriction when we're making our forty man and we have to submit. Then you can move the player onto the sixty man at at that point, but uh, or or at least the sixty day IL rather, but um. I, I think some of those profiles are, are worth taking a risk on. Um, so yeah, Bry- Bryce Bonin certainly is one. Uh, RJ Dabovich is another player as well. Um, high-end reliever. At one point was one of the best relief minor league relief pitchers in, 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 in the minors and uh, unfortunately also went through uh, an injury and surgery. Um, I, I forget the one right off the top of my head. And then even um, uh, I think another guy that was also mentioned uh, – Taylor Dollard, for example, um, again, um, uh, he was the minor league pitcher of the year for the Seattle Mariners. You guys saw how 
Bryce Miller, Brian Wu, and Emerson Hancock all got called up. Dollard was right there at AAA. And if he didn't end up having labrum surgery, he probably would have been called up. So for any team, again, looking for an opportunity for that fourth, fifth starter, um, I think I think there's room here, at least in, in terms of potential for someone to go out and get an innings eater or someone who can be in a multi-inning relief role and then potentially develop as a back-end starter. Um, just to maybe name drop one more, uh, Mitch Spence had 14 quality starts all at AAA for the New York Yankees. He had articles going into when the Yankees were in the September time frame and they were struggling to find pitchers. They had to turn Michael King into a starter. They didn't call this guy up, but there were articles asking maybe he should be next in line to go get a starting position. He threw the most innings in the minors this year. 14 quality starts, 163 innings, 153 Ks. It's a really nice cutter slash slider that he has. Fastball can be low 90s, but sometimes top at 94. If anyone needs innings this year, go get yourself Mitch Spence as well from the Yankees. So uh, there's there's kind of, if, if you're looking for a specific need in, in the Rule 5 draft this year, I think I'm also leaning a lot on the arms. Um, I'll probably take a, a bit of a break, but I, I think like, the bats itself is there's there's a few good bats I feel that that certainly um, could pave their way as well. Um, well, and just to add on about Spence, what you mentioned, Vivek, about the articles questioning whether or not he was going to get major league time, that kind of fits where Andrew Politi was last year with the Red Sox. Just really steady production at AAA. The Red Sox didn't have a lot of pitching at the end of the 2022 season. People were questioning, should they bring Politi up? They didn't bring him up. And they didn't protect him, but then the Orioles saw enough to take him in the Rule 5 draft. Now, obviously, they didn't protect him, but that could, you know, foreshadow a little bit that if someone like Spence is available when the Orioles pick, that they he's someone they would take a flyer on. We focused a lot on pitchers um, so far, and I think there's a good reason for that. That's because that's the Orioles' greatest area of need. And generally speaking, there's plenty of relievers or back-end starter types available in Rule 5 draft. With that said, how does the hitter class look this year? Yeah, the hitter class, I think it kind of depends on <laughs> what you're, what specifically you're looking for. But um, I right now, I think, have five to ten hitters that are of a caliber of which you could certainly pick if you if you wanted to harness certain profiles. And as I'm kind of pulling up my list here, um, a first one that kind of comes to mind again, I'll put some new names because I know you always hear about some of the, 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 the same popular ones over and over again, whether they be baseball America. I had this guy on my rule five list last year and I have him again this year. I still don't know why he wasn't protected. He was a teammate of Kyle Brunovich and, um, George Kirby back at Elon. He was their shortstop Cam Devaney in the Milwaukee Brewers system. And he's someone who plays shortstop and second base really well. Um, just coming into the year, uh, he had already spent time back at AAA. He himself this year had 271 batting average, 362 on base, and then an 823 OPS, uh, all at AAA this year in Memphis. So 
you know the Orioles and other teams have certainly, at least in the International League, been able to see him play. Um, but Cam Devaney, I think, is another special bet that could fit in your middle infield, whether he's at second base or shortstop. Another guy that I love, and it's similar maybe to a Ryan Noda profile. And you guys also know I like Justin Yurchek, who is in the Dodger system. But the reason he's not on my list right now is he hasn't signed off with the team. So he's technically not Rule 5 eligible. So until he signs with another team, which will probably be after the Rule 5 draft, um, he'll get an opportunity there. But Anthony Prado, this guy's in the Minnesota Twins system. 2019 seventh round pick. He spends the year at AAA again. What I love is that AAA, he had 72 games, 59 walks to 69 strikeouts, hit 10 home runs. This is the biggest power profile increase we've seen from him. And he hit 302, 452 on base percentage, 991 OPS. And Again, not many people are talking about him. It may be the defensive profile and the future for it. He's listed as a left fielder. Um, but I do believe in his past, he was playing in the infield, whether it was one of the mid infields like shortstop or second base. But Anthony Prado was on my layer on the list last year and also on this year. And Prado and Cam Devaney have done nothing to hurt their profiles. I think they're both right on the cusp. The Brewers, I was surprised with that he didn't get perfected. Prado, I totally understand when you have, um, they have a pretty crowded infield, especially with Brooks Lee and Austin Martin and a few of the other guys, Carlos Correa, and um, uh, I'm forgetting the name off the top of my head, but uh, I, I know I have his baseball card. <laughs> um, he's he's from Quebec, Minnesota Twins. Second baseman was on my fantasy team. I know, dude. <laughs> what about Royce Lewis? Who, who are we talking about? Oh, they also have Royce Lewis. Mm-hmm. I think I'll, I'll get back to it. But but none the, nonetheless... Um, Edward Julian? Yes. Edward yeah. Julian, yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so they have a pretty crowded infield. I thought Anthony Prado was absolutely deserving to be protected. Um, good bat control, the power uptick in International League. Um, these are definitely a few names on my mind. I know, uh, yeah, I, I'm curious to hear a, a few more that, yeah, the rest of you guys yeah, came up with. Looking for a fun way to win 25 times your money this football and basketball season? Test your skills on Prize Picks, the most exciting way to play daily fantasy sports. Just select two or more players, pick more or less on their projection for a wide variety of stats, and place your entry. It's as easy as that. If you have the skills, you can turn $10 into $250 with just a few taps. Easy gameplay, quick withdrawals, and injury insurance on your picks are what make Prize Picks the number one daily fantasy sports app. Ready to test your skills? Join the Prize Picks community of more than 7 million players who have already signed up. Right now, Prize Picks will match your first deposit up to $100. Just visit prizepicks.com slash play100 and use code play100. That's code play100 at prizepicks.com slash play100 for a first deposit match up to $100. Prize Picks, daily fantasy sports made easy. Yeah, I guess I didn't look at the hitters. Uh, just yeah, we'll see. Uh, I remember Devaney from last year, and I remember watching him in college. So that's definitely uh, an interesting guy. I think if you are going to make a pick, it's going to be someone that's super versatile, though. 
that can play infield and outfield more than likely. Uh, but this, the, the hitting side of things just seems so deep and, and it kind of leads to you know, my thought was the question I, I was going to ask is looking at it as a whole, you can include hitters here too, if you guys want to, but like when you're looking at where do we think the Orioles go with this pick though? Um, because like it, if I'm looking at my list and again, that's just all pitchers. Like I can break it down. And it's like the Cole Wilcox type, right? The guy, the Ian Seymour's the injuries, the guy that seems to have complete packages, uh, but there's injury concerns. And then you've got the safer guys. You guys mentioned Mitch Spence, uh, a name, try to pull it up here real quick. Austin Pope from the Arizona Diamondbacks is a guy that I think it could be another really top elite option as well. I mean, the guy pitched in the Texas league and the Pacific coast league and didn't allow like any home runs struck out like 29, 30% at both levels. Wasn't walking any guys, ERAs and FIPS down in the, the twos and threes and two of the toughest, toughest leagues to pitch in. You could go that route as well. The safer route in the Mitch Spence types. I'm glad uh, Vivek brought up Bryce Bonin from Cincinnati. Cause I was going to throw that name out there. It's like, he hasn't pitched in pretty much two years, but He's like a data monster that flirts with 100 miles per hour, and he's Cal Bodie's favorite Reds pitching prospect. So, like, I feel like that holds a lot of rate weight, or you know, or even someone like uh, Christian Chamberlain from the Royals. I'm going to throw this name out there because he had a 41 and half percent strikeout rate in High A and a 36 percent strikeout rate in Double A, mm-hmm. and went from throwing 92 to like 95, 96 miles per hour with a quote nasty overhand curveball. Um, I think walks were an insane issue, but he was teammates with Adley Rutschman for two years at Oregon state, (laughs) like super risky. Like there's the super risky guy. There's the super safe guys. I think like Mitch, Mitch Spence would be a super safe guy. There are your guys like Austin Pope who seem really major league ready. There are your guys with higher ceilings, like Ian Seymour. Like, where do we think the Orioles go here with this pick? I think it's part of it's going to depend on how the board plays out before they pick because they are picking further in the draft. They're not going to be able to really dictate their own strategy. With that said, my sense is that someone like Spence might win out because while you can afford to take a little bit of risk, you also have to be realistic with the kind of player who can make a roster for a team that's going to contend this year. And Spence would seem to fit their bill in the sense of someone who maybe they could try to develop into a starter down the line if they wanted to. I think Ian Seymour fits that bill as well. I hope that the Orioles would go and grab him if he's available there. And I don't think, despite the injury, he's that big of a risk. But I think it's going to be someone of that mold just because you've got so many spots. You've only got so many spots. You want to be realistic about who can actually make this team. Yeah, I do think they'll take a pitcher, and Ian Seymour would be ideal if he's still sitting around there. I'd love to see that happen. But whether it's Seymour or or one of these other lefty arms that we talked about out of the bullpen or a guy like Spence who can give you balk and kind of potentially be a Tyler Wells type where he surprisingly comes into 2025 stretched out as a starter trying to make a go of that. But I do think they will take someone, and they will evaluate them early in the spring, and then they'll know fairly quickly – whether they want to continue down that route or not. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think it's it's definitely arms the way to go. I mean, if you've considered, right, how much depth we have in the minor leagues and how many players, infielders, outfielder, uh, that are that are really trying to make a push 
to play on this roster. So I think it's definitely going to be an arm, especially um, not saying if it gives another level of urgency, but um, right with, with the closer itself, Felix Bautista being out, I imagine why not if you were to take two picks, right? And that's probably just in my psycho mind of taking two picks. Find maybe their first pick, generally the safer one, and find the second one of something. Okay, I know there's a little bit of an injury here, but if he hits, this is also going to amplify the Oregon away. Like Tampa Bay Rays traded for Kevin Kelly, which is again, you have to think about that for a second. Just they traded for a rule five pick, right? But they saw something in there. And um it, it's it's hard to kind of say because I am also a big fan of a lot of our like arms. Like Justin Jarvis has been on my list since last year. Phenomenal fastball. Um, and then a few other guys like um like we mentioned, even Miguel Rodriguez is someone who's popped up in low A to double A right now. Uh, he was just actually this morning. I'm I was happy to see that it was on Jeff Pontus's list as well. Uh, for someone whose fastball is 94 to 97 and still developing um, some of this as the secondary slider and a changeup. So we've done this once from the twin system. I think you've heard me say before that the twins have a really underrated system, in my opinion. Um, but uh, again, if I were to make uh, the pick today, I certainly think there's going to be teams that pass given where we're picking. And it's kind of unfortunate. I think everyone should participate just for the sake of trying out a guy in spring training. And now we see all these string training places that their stat cast data, right? It's fine. If it doesn't work out, then then you just return the player. You know, it's, it's like trying out a prospect. Um, uh, in spring training so if i were picking i think i think seymour will be gone by the time the orioles pick i still like eric orzi and if we wanted to make a second pick let's just have fun bryce bonin or jacob heatherly um i do love the fact that both rooney and gambo are still there um it's a really good rule five draft for lefties with power i think so um it's it's i'm looking forward to it even if the orioles pick one or don't pick anyone uh just to see some of the names i think what's always humbling about the rule five draft is last year there's only 15 players picked in the major league phase and i only knew seven of them on my board so right there's still eight others that i was like who so you you always you always learn about someone new yeah and then Right, Ryan Noda was like the rule fiver of the year <laughs> out of all of them. And then second, you know, Kevin Kelly, obviously. So it's uh you never know where you can find some value um in some of these prospects. I'm gonna throw out one more name real quick because it's a good transition, I feel like, to the next point that Zach was yeah. gonna make. Um, we know who the pick is gonna be. He comes from the Houston Astros. <sighs> he is a pitcher. <laughs> And he has connections to Mike Elias, like someone else that they just brought in, like everyone else this organization brings in, but left-handed pitcher Julio, I'm going to butcher the last name, Julio Rabenia. I don't know, double A this year, he repeated double A, but improved, he's only like 22 years old and he repeated double A, so he's not some like 25-year-old. True prospect. Yeah, yeah. I mean, K rate up, walk rate down, uh, and he was an international signing 
by the Astros when Mike Elias was there. So the last hour conversation has been useless because it's going to be Rabania because he's got the Mike Elias connection. So. Well, Nick, that was a really good segue. It kind of was like your mind was on that segue. <laughs> and we'll go now to the big news of the day in Birdland, which is the Orioles are reportedly set to hire Drew Frentz as their new pitching coach. Frentz has served as the Atlanta Braves bullpen coach for the last three seasons. This move has not been officially announced by the team, but it's being widely reported at this point with Rock Habato with Masson, the first to break the news. And just to give a little bit of background with Frentz, as Nick touched on, the Orioles do have a connection with Frentz because he was part of the Astros organization from 2016 to 2020. So he worked with the current regime that includes Mike Elias, Chris Holt, Eve Rosemont, and Sigma Dahl, among others. And he topped out at AAA, serving as Round Rocks pitching coach in 2019 and was at the club's alternate site in 2020 during the pandemic shortened season. So Frentz has a good background in coaching where he's been in the farm system of an elite organization and gone from that to being a coach for a consistent winner at the major league level in Atlanta. So he will now be the Orioles pitching coach. As a reminder, Chris Holt is still with the organization in a front office role. Darren Holmes was let go by the Orioles. And seemingly they could still fill a second pitching coach position. Uh, to replace Holmes this offseason, but they have their main man in France. Uh, Vivek, I will actually start with you here because I think the news had barely broken today when you expressed your excitement in the WhatsApp chat. So tell us, why are you excited about this move? Yeah, I think it's awesome in the sense of, right, we've seen moves where uh, whether it was Sig Dell or Eve Rosenbaum, or Kobe Perez, there was, um, and again, Kobe Perez may, I think he did come from the guardian system. So maybe not there, but there's always these moves, Matt blood, for example, that Elias has worked with, has a connection towards. And I think it says a lot when you're, I think my first excitement truly Zach was coming from the fact that this is coming from the Atlanta Braves who were the best team last year. And, for him, it's probably also a promotion from the bench coach, right? Or the bullpen coach to then being our, you know, pitching coach in general. But I like the fact that there's repertoire there. Um, he's probably worked with some of those arms, Rysel Iglesias, um, AJ Minter, um, Luke Jackson, some of these. How can I forget? Jacob Webb. <laughs> he's probably worked with Jacob Webb as well. So, um, there's a bit of a familiarity there and it, I don't know how much of a relationship he has with the starting pitchers as well over there in Atlanta, but I think the Orioles did well here, at least in the sense of, and we don't, again, don't know who the bullpen coach will be. I think all of us are very much appreciative of both Chris Holt, but also Justin Ramsey for all the work that they do. And perhaps there is a promotion in Justin Ramsey's future, um, because of such of the great work. But I like this here where when they promoted Chris Holt, they didn't get complacent in who would be the next person to come in. This feels like an active search to make sure let's find someone who we have a repertoire with that we can bring in. And he left the 104 win Atlanta Braves to come also to a 101 win Baltimore Orioles team. So, um, 
I'm really excited, you know, to see what they they bring because all pitching coaches under Michael Elias, Doug Brocale was during the rebuild period in Houston. Then Chris Holt, because also brought from Houston. And now we're here uh, with uh, with Drew French. So I'm looking forward to it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I'm still holding out hope as well for Justin Ramsey to get that second pitching coach position, whether it's bullpen coach, assistant pitching coach, whatever they end up calling that slot. But uh, I'd, after, I'd, I do not keep up with uh, the bullpen coaches around the league and, and all that, so I did not know who Drew French was. But after reading up on him, makes a ton of sense to me. I'm starting to get a different look at the whole Michael Elias bringing in guys that he's worked with before and girls um, in the past, whether it be Houston, St. Louis. To me, it reads like, you know, he puts such an emphasis on the clubhouse chemistry for the team and for the coaches being on the same page. And I feel like just the fact that he brings in guys that he's worked with, that to me says, I know the character this guy has. So, and I know that he's good at his job, but I also know he's going to fit in. So that's where I think that it seems like they're constantly pulling from from the past into the present. But yeah, I mean, just based on comments from the athletic article that Zach shared with us behind the scenes earlier today, it seems like he's a perfect fit the way, you know, he'll use analytics, but it's also about being step-by-step in lockstep with the rest of the uh, organization from the top to the bottom. Um, yeah, I think I think it was a great hire, and I'm, I'm very excited to see what he can bring to the, to the organization. Seems like he fits the mold of a lot of other coaches and this organization that we've come to know pretty well. Uh, he seems like, again, just from really that one article, because yeah, I'm not going to sit here and pretend like I knew who he was before today either, but from reading that article, it really does seem like he's a player's coach and he gets it. And he's also, I don't know, maybe it's because I'm like 35, about to turn 36 years old. So I'm getting older, but I see him. He's like, what, 38, 39 years old. So in my mind, I'm thinking like, he's a, he's a younger coach, right? Like, or am I just thinking back to the days, like when I was a kid and all these guys are like, you know, the, the 60, 70 year old pitching coaches that got out there in the mound. But I feel like he's on the younger side, right? He seems innovative uh, as well. He can still connect with these guys. And I did enjoy that article as well. That great profile. Yeah, definitely. If, if go check it out, just search it, uh, pull it up and read it for yourself there um, to get an idea, a better idea of who French is. Seems like he's the player's guy that fits that mold. And I do like the idea that he is, he's younger, but he's a veteran who's been on the major league side of things for a couple of years now, grinded his way through the minor leagues, but has been on a world series winning team right in Atlanta. So he's got that experience. He's going to bring that over to Baltimore. And I do really love the idea of still pairing him with a Justin Ramsey or Maybe Ramsey's content with his role as, I think, upper minors, technically, you know, pitching coordinator, specifically the Norfolk Tides pitching coach. Or maybe it's one of the younger guys from double A. We saw Ryan Fuller go from double A to the big leagues. So maybe you look at uh, down the list a little bit, bringing one of those guys up to the major leagues uh, as the assistant pitching coach or whatever unique creative title they, they want to give them. Um I like it. Uh, again, that's one of the biggest things about this organization that I love so much is that it's it's not even just the players are, have been fantastic. The players have been great, but I've said it a hundred times and I'm going to keep saying it a hundred times more credit needs to be given to the coaching staff and the people behind the scenes in this organization, because that's the basis here that, that they're building. And it's, 
it it it's rubbing off on the players. I feel like, and that causes the players to really want to play uh, for this organization. So it's hopefully as we learn more and uh, all that comes out to be true that he really is a players guy. Yeah, and for anyone who might be interested in diving a little bit deeper into the article that Bob and Nick mentioned, it was written by David O'Brien at The Athletic back in 2021, right after Frentz joined the Braves organization. There's a lot of good insight into the Braves pitching philosophy, at least what it was at that time, and how Frentz was selling it to not just some of their, their younger guys, but to their veterans as well. So go check that out if you want a little bit more background on Frentz, but that's uh, some important insight, I think, as the Orioles gear up for the 2024 season. Speaking of which, we do have the winter meetings coming up next week, and there's a lot of intrigue in the baseball world. Sohei Otani is still on the board. We've got a lot of trade rumors for guys that many teams, including the Orioles, are rumored to be targeting, such as Dylan Cease and Corbin Burns, who are both still out there, presumably to be had in the trade market. Let's we'll see how things play out. Now, I made this point last year, and I want to stress it again. The baseball offseason does not start and end uh, with the winter meetings next week. There will be time for other moves afterwards. So if the Orioles don't make the move that you want them to make next week, uh, just hold out a little bit of hope as long as that player is still available or as long as someone similar is still available. Now, I'll go around to each of you here, starting with Nick. What are you going to be watching for in the next week from a league-wide perspective as well as an Orioles perspective? I think teams get super aggressive with the pitching. And I think we see – I'm hopeful at least that – well, hopeful that there's activity, but not hopeful in the activity that I think could happen, that we see some of these – more of these pitchers go for kind of ridiculous prices. That's That's what I'm afraid of the most is that it seems like pitching is at a premium this off season. And at the trade deadline, I remember thinking, okay, yeah, you got the Jack Flaherty trade. It was fine. He served a purpose for you know the regular season at least, but it seemed like the prices were way too high at the deadline for some of the top arms. And I think consensus was kind of like, all right, in the off season, those prices are going to come down the Orioles have the package. They can put together any package they want, obviously, for any player they want. We'll see the action then. I'm not so sure those prices have come down uh, at all on some of these guys. Maybe a touch. I don't know. But hopefully some of those conversations, hopefully the the talk that there were deep conversations with other teams at the trade deadline were true, and those conversations can be resumed and carried over into the offseason. And I do hope from an Orioles perspective, a trade is made. I don't see them signing a guy because I think other than maybe that, you know, report about, you know, the Japanese free agent would be fantastic. But I think a lot of these free agents are going to get pretty big deals that are going to price the Orioles out of that market. So I'm hoping from an Orioles perspective, we see that trade rip the bandaid off finally, and let's make the big trade um, hopefully for a pitcher. But at the same time, like you just because the Orioles can put together a package, right? It's it's a two-way dance. The other team also has to accept this is when Michael S was on the show, he said what like 99.9% of trade discussions fail. They're not they don't end up happening because it's extremely tough to put together a deal. And the Orioles can't just sign anybody they want to. Yes, money is a big deal, but you know, there are other factors involved. 
with a lot of these guys. Aaron Nola took a little bit less to return to Philadelphia, right? Like that's, it's like, I want the Orioles to make a move as well, but I am kind of getting a little concerned that chaos is going to ensue next week. Like Zach mentioned, when that move doesn't happen for the Orioles side of things. Uh, and uh, we have to wait a little bit longer for that move to hopefully happen. Yeah, so badly do I want to have an emergency podcast on Sunday, Monday, or Tuesday before our next regularly scheduled program. That would be a lot of fun. Uh, would love, you know, we've been highly anticipating the winter meetings and just off seasons and off seasons in general the past couple of years to see that big trade, that big move. Let's let's let it happen once. Let's let's do it. Even if even if it doesn't happen this winter meetings, I feel like. Something big is going down this offseason, but it's Mike Elias, so it'll probably be like the week before spring training starts. And uh, yeah, it'll have Orioles fans in an uproar leading up to that. I think he loves doing that. But um, yeah, just give me give me something, uh, a trade for a Seattle Mariners starting pitcher, a an unexpected trade of like Austin Hayes and Ramon Arias for some other position player. That's just, just give me something off the wall. Give me a signing of some sort. I'll take that Japanese import. That sounds really good, especially for the money. Uh, just Orioles fans are hungry. Just give us a breadcrumb. Give us something next week. Yeah, absolutely. I think I definitely have my, you know, you know, you're coming after a 101 win season and I'm, I'm sure there's a game plan that's in place in terms of what to do. I don't know if, and, and kind of connecting back on what Nick was saying about, I mean, that, that was from the case of like trades and there being high prices for being able to acquire some of the starting pitching. I know there was a rumor out there where it was hard for us to offer multi-year deals for some of these pitchers. And that makes it tough, right? Cause we saw the deals that Jamison Tyone signed or we saw the deal that Taiwan Walker signed all these were four or five year deals and again I don't know if we're in that realm of three four five years yet and it's kind of tough to say but I would also argue I don't I don't believe that the Orioles are in the worst position right now in terms of starting pitching when you have guys like Justin Armbruster Chase McDermott um, and uh, Cade Povich that are right there on the cusp now I do want to see a trade that happens. Uh, if it's during the winter meetings, that'd be great. But maybe at least sign a reliever because I think all of us, as we're looking at our phones, we're now seeing Luis Severino signed, Kenta Maeda signed, Sonny Gray signed, Aaron Nola signed, Blake Snell is still out there. And there's probably a little bit of trades to potentially also happen. Last year, the San Diego Padres wanted to make a big splash and they left and they made sure they got Xander Bogarts. And now, unfortunately, and rest in peace, their owner, who was really pushing hard, they have a $50 million loan now to be able to pay everyone, and they're trying to cut salary, and the Twins are trying to cut salary. And some of these things here, this is where I could see maybe the Orioles swoop in a bit. Mets were aggressive to also cut James McCann, and we got a favorable deal. And it worked out for us because what a veteran leader we had. If there's a team in terms of pitching, I think one of the guys in the group chat today put out there, do they do they want to do something with Musgrove, for example? Darvish would be a tough maybe contract to swallow. But if anything, 
we're really right now trying to cover about 190 innings. But what the great thing is, Dean Kramer got bumped up to 170. Kyle Bradish was right there around 170. Grayson Rodriguez got up to about 160, 165, if you include the minor leagues. And then both Arm Brewster, Povich, and McDermott are 115 to 120. Tyler Wells got up to about 118, 120. Um, there's definitely potential for us to start off the year if we didn't make any trades for a starter. But if we went that path, we have to be prepared by middle of the season to make a move to get a starter. So I, I'm sure Michael Elias is under a lot of scrutiny. I'm sure if, if there is no trade or uh, right, there's the balance between not trading anyone at all and letting it for it internally to develop. And then there's trading everyone away like the Padres. So um, I'm, I'm sure we're still trying to figure out that balance. I'd like to see one or two more signings. I'd like to see something similar to that Michael Givens deal, but for another reliever, whether it's five, six million. I'd like to see potentially some trade discussions being involved in trade discussions. Um, and then a rule five pick or two, please. <laughs> <laughs> Just end it. it. Right. It wouldn't be a complete podcast if I didn't bring that up. So. If I could just uh, do one small correction from your your uh, listing of names there, it's Chase McStrikeouts. Like, can you oh, get it right? How could God I? Thanks. It's actually <laughs> Chance. Uh, I saw according to Baseball America, it's Chance McStrikeouts. Oh, yeah. Okay. No, just, I, I. That's don't a let, uh, don't let the Yankees trade for Juan Soto. That's my big thing. Oh, Soto's gone. But like I said, I predicted Let's with Connor that's going to be the. <laughs> I, uh, I I think I said I wanted to predict he was going to go to the Mets. The Mets are going to trade for him. Soto's definitely gone. I feel like, yeah, it's I I love that Vivek laid out the innings there with those guys, especially the prospects. There's depth. You need a lot of arms to get through a season. Injuries are going to hit every team so hard. You got Max Scherzer coming out there saying he's talking with the doctor, and the this doctors are saying like the pitch clock contributing to injuries, increased pitcher injuries. I don't know if that's true or not. Maybe it is. Maybe it's not. Regardless, you're going to get hit. Your pitchers are going to get hit with injuries uh, significantly throughout the year. You need a lot of arms. That depth is really good to have. And you know what? Let's increase it. And Grayson and Cal Bradish are hopefully future, however you want to define it, quote-unquote aces. Uh, especially Bradish, I think, is just about there. But you know what? Let's, let's sign Eduardo Rodriguez. Let's trade for Freddy Peralta. Let's have that unbelievable prospect depth ready to go, and uh, let's go win a World Series here this year. That's ideally. So that's not going to happen this offseason, uh, we know, but we got one more week at least we can dream about things, I guess. There's one of two things are going to happen. Either the, the big move is not going to happen this offseason, or it will happen tomorrow night at 11.30 p.m. when Bob, Nick, and I can't do an emergency podcast. Um, maybe not. I don't know. We'll, we'll have to see how things are at that moment, but if the Orioles go out and sign uh, Sota and Minaga and add him to the rotation, they bring in another pitcher, I would be happy with that. I know a lot of people really want Dylan Cease, and I like Dylan Cease, but there's a limit to how much I like Dylan Cease. Frankly, if there's a guy I'm going to go out and try to pry away from a team this offseason, it's probably Mitz Keller. Um, but that's a separate discussion for another day. Regardless, though, 
I do think in the next week, the first shoe on the pitching trade market is going to drop. It's a question of who it is. Is it Dylan Cease? Is it Corbin Burns? Is it Shane Bieber, who a lot of teams are rumored to be interested in? Um, is it going to be Tyler Glass now, who I don't think is going to be in the Orioles um, you know, market because I don't think the Rays are going to deal him in the division. I don't think the Orioles should deal their prospects in the division. But if Glass now goes to the Reds, the Cubs, or the Dodgers in the next week, that's going to set up the rest of the market. And that's really what I'm interested to see. And I'm also curious, you know, looking at the teams that are competing with the Orioles for pitching. All of them had good seasons, but you have a team like the Dodgers, one of the best teams in the National League, that comes into this offseason, and their pitching staff is actually not in very good shape. In fact, I think the Orioles' pitching staff is in much better shape right now. So how desperate are they going to be to go out and get someone? Uh, And who are they going to get? So that's really what I'm watching for is what's the first shoe to drop in the pitching market because I think that's going to set the course for – any big moves the Orioles make this offseason. Um, other than that, there's not a whole lot I'm watching from the Orioles side of things because I think any position player moves they make are going to be fairly small this offseason. But it's really going to be who's the first pitcher to move, what is the price, and how does that set everything in the motion? And is the fact that you know the Orioles aren't necessarily being linked to every major pitcher that's available for trade, does that mean anything? Or is that this front office working quietly behind the scenes? We'll have to find out. We know they're quietly working behind the scenes. Yeah. We, yeah. we know that's exactly what's going on. Yeah, Cole Irvin surprised us out of nowhere. And I think that was a, what, a January trade. So uh, mid to end of January trade. So, I mean, Elias is very patient with some of these moves. And, and you know, for, for a good reason. So, um it was really a controllable starter. Plus, we got an arm back, uh, and we all love Daryl Arnaiz, Arnaiz. So I, we, we all wish him the success. I, I hope he does become like the face of that franchise for the Oakland. Genuinely, you know. Um, but right, it, it was something that came out of nowhere. So, right, even if we're not in any rumors, even though it's fun to be in rumors. I'm um, I'm I'm sure they're they're working the phones and getting the the table set um for right now that you have a 100 and win season and you've won the division now the job is to keep that up. Tariq Skubal, welcome to Birdland. Oh, wouldn't that be something? Man. <laughs> yeah, uh I also want to see everyone freak out when Cody Bellinger gets over $200 million contract and people are like, oh, shoot, I thought we could have had him for like three years, $50 million. Yeah. <laughs> I almost wonder, do we, I know Otani's doing everything in secrecy, but I wonder. That lines if... up perfectly with the Orioles' way of doing things. <laughs> Sounds like a match made in heaven. <laughs> I wonder if like he's the type of person, though, who behind the scenes is like, I want to get this done now. And I wonder if that would be the first major shoe to drop. And, you know, if if the Dodgers end up getting Otani, um, well, never mind. Now I'm thinking out loud that that's irrelevant because he's not pitching this year. Yeah. yeah, so uh, never mind. I was, Whatever Otani does is irrelevant, I guess. He's not going to Baltimore, so yeah. never mind. <laughs> I, I was banking on the fact that, okay, maybe if Otani can't pitch in 2024, he'll take a one-year deal somewhere else to prove it. But it's like, who am I asking a two-time MVP to prove it? Like this is yeah. 
Um, but but nonetheless, I mean, I think if anyone is maybe potentially looking for a prove-it deal, I'd love to see some traction on Lucas Giolito. And I say that from the standpoint of quality starts. Like, it really is nice to go for the flashy pitcher that's also out there that's like an ace. Don't get me wrong. But when you think about it, Kyle Gibson did give you 17 quality starts. That was 17 opportunities um, to win a ball game, right? To be able to be put put in a position. Um, Bradish gave you 18. Kramer gave you 14. Um, so w- once again, I, I it, 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 whether it's trade or whether it's through free agency, um, if it's Giolito or someone they believe they can really harness. Um, I'm I'm always now cautiously optimistic, but also keeping a guard on just to make sure I don't get too attached to one player or another. Um, yeah, things uh, get louder. <laughs> things get. <laughs> Go ahead, Bob. Things, all right, things get kicked <laughs> off Monday morning. Michael Elias walks in. Adley Rushman's been signed to a 10-year extension. Gunnar Henderson's been signed to a 12-year extension or one or the other. Come on. If we do nothing but just that, I don't even care about signing anyone else. That's fine. You know, we'll we'll just run it. We'll run it. <laughs> we'll run it back. <laughs> yep. Yeah. I was say, even I, if it's I, just love- Giolito, even if Giolito is the only starter, honestly, cool. I know a lot of people, it's going to piss a lot of people off and they're not going to be happy with that. Honestly, I kind of would. Like yeah. to be, yeah, I'd be fine if that's your big starter and you bring in, I can't remember his name. So I, the Japanese pitcher that Thor is being linked to, or if you bring in another quality depth option as well and continue to add to that depth, I'm going to be fine with that. Uh, and then the trades can happen at any time. But uh, John Mioli had a great piece uh, today, I think, in the Baltimore banner. Like the pickings are slim. And with Nola gone and Sonny Gray gone, the, the free agent yeah. pickings are super slim now. So if you can walk out of that with just Giolito and he turns, you're able to turn things around there with him, you pull off the trade later on, I'm down. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's, I still think, right? I mean, if we look at it, um, Kyle Bradish, Grayson Rodriguez, John Means, Dean Kramer, Tyler Wells. Cole Urban. You have six potential guys who could be the starters. DL Hall. Plus, and then DL Hall. How could I forget? Then three other guys that are at AAA that got AAA experience right now. Like, it's the most unpopular thing for me to say that we'll be fine if we don't make a starting move right now. But if it's to then check out midseason and see what the prices are, then maybe so be it, right? Because I think all of us are kind of excited to see what these arms can do. Arm Brewster is a great strike thrower. Chase McDermott, I, I think we've all seen that electric fastball and how his slider is playing. And then Cade Povich, we've seen him when he's on and is consistent what it can be. So, yeah, you still have to make trades and, and be consistent, and maybe we do part with one of these arms one day. But um, I, I, I think Giolito at least gives you that 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 bridge. But even if you don't make that move, let's be aggressive in some of these conversations. I, I'd like to see the Orioles link to some players and discussions, whatever does leak from our from our front office. <laughs> well, we'll certainly have our eyes on that next week at the winter meetings, which are taking place 
in Nashville. In the meantime, Vivek, thank you so much for joining us on tonight's show. Now, our loyal listeners know where to find you um, in our Patreon channels. But uh, where can our other listeners who maybe aren't quite patrons yet find you? Sure, no. Thank you for the opportunity. Um, on on Twitter, my my Twitter handle is I just shook ya. It's kind of a play on my last name, S H U K. Um, and what I will be posting is before the Rule Five draft. I'm hoping to have this list out by either Sunday or Monday. I do want to be able to drop my final list, my board of all these players, um, along with just my preference of a top thirty. Um, I've probably explained some of my preferences already today. Um, but yeah, I'm looking to see how many of these, these names come off of the board. Um, but it's always an educational experience because, uh, right. Nonetheless, I I had another list from last year where, Oh, Hey, this guy got included in a trade. Oh, Hey, this guy actually got some playing time in the majors. So right. Whether they're rule five or they don't get protected doesn't mean they don't have value. And I think this, this whole exercise is about f- finding uh, value where it necessarily gets overlooked. Couldn't agree more. And that's why we enjoy having these discussions with you, Vivek. And uh, Bob, anything you want to add here? Yeah, don't forget to check out our new Discord server. Um, Vivek's there as well. Um, it's a lot of fun. We're a week in, and, and I, I think it was a, a good decision to move over to Discord. I'm, I'm having a good time over there. Yeah, absolutely. And just for any patrons that are listening, we do have WhatsApp open as well. So we are still posting both places, but Discord gives us the opportunity to reach out to some people who aren't patrons and maybe thinking about joining the community or just are looking for another place to have civil conversations about the Orioles. Uh, And with that, that does it for this week. So thank you to Vivek Sukla for joining us to preview this year's Rule 5 draft. Bob, Nick, and I will be back on the air next Wednesday at 8.30 Eastern to talk about what has happened in the winter meeting so far. We may also have some other things for you in store. You'll want to check us out on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok in the meantime, and we'll release more information about next week's show as soon as we finalize it. For Bob Film and Nick Stevens, this is Zach Spedden. You've been listening to On the Verge. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.